0: Good Morning Teacher, I'm Noelle Pickering. On the Good Morning Teacher podcast, we bring practical solutions to busy teachers because you can love your job and leave your work at school. Join us each week to talk through tools and strategies that help you maximize your time and effort both in the classroom and at home. I'm excited to cheer you on as you face the week ahead. morning, teachers. You're listening to episode number 39. Last week on the podcast, we kicked off our instructional design series and talked about unpacking the standards and what that looks like when lesson planning. We spoke about breaking down those standards into learning objectives using no's and do's, and then we discussed the importance of big ideas and essential questions. So be sure to give it a listen at maneuveringthemiddle.com episode 38 and you can grab that freebie that we'll also reference in today's episode as well. Now, today we are going to continue our series on instructional design to talk a little bit more about the execution of higher level thinking. Like, How do we get our students to think at those higher levels? And in order to get them to do that, we have to be asking questions that require them to access those parts of the brain. So today I wanna focus on the types of questions that we ask and how we can facilitate those questions in our classroom. So let's do it. If I think about the purpose of questioning in our classrooms, I can think of two different reasons. First, questions give us feedback on what and how our students are processing and internalizing their learning. And also questions Can be a guide for that student thinking. So if you're asking questions throughout class and then students are struggling on an assessment, it's possible that the questions that you're asking aren't aligned to that in which a student is expected to do on said assessment. So let's give an example here. If the questions our students are answering are lower level recall questions and you're prompting them in their thinking with these same recall type questions, then it's likely when they see something different, right, on a test or a quiz or an assignment, those more um, application-based or analysis-based, or they're actually having to synthesize the information, then they may look at you with that deer in the headlights look, right? We have all seen that from our students at some point or another. So in the book, Building Thinking Classrooms, Peter Liddell touches on this a little bit, and he talks about the concept of studenting. And if you haven't picked up this book, I would definitely recommend it. We'll link it at maneuveringthemiddle.com slash episode 39. And basically studenting, as he calls it, is when students are exhibiting behaviors that look like what a teacher wants to see. Think about like filling in the notes or mimicking the teacher, but they aren't actually reasoning their way through the problem. They're not actually thinking, they're studenting right? Now, this doesn't mean that we have to go back to square one with all of our teaching methods. We can make some small adjustments to the questions and the interactions in our classroom to help build those thinking muscles, build their brain, um, build those dendrites and those connections so that they can answer and understand and utilize the math they're learning for these higher level concepts and higher level questions. So what, what can we do, right? Well, we can encourage students to become comfortable with making mistakes. Your classroom has to be a place where the wrong answer is not dismissed or discouraged, but celebrated for the learning opportunity. Phil Darrow, who was one of the co-authors on the Common Core State Standards, says that teachers put too much emphasis on the answers, and answers are part of the process, but they're not the only learning outcome. And that wrong answers are also part of the learning outcome. So the idea is that students learn from mistakes, just like in life, right? So what if we framed answers as discoveries and students, if they reach the wrong answer, you talk more about why that approach doesn't work instead of how to get to the right answer. What if we gave students the answers before solving and removed some of the power of like right or wrong and instead spent some time in class figuring out different ways to get to that answer, right? Mistakes are the process in which we learn things, and not only in math class, but in life. I used to tell my students that making a mistake in sixth grade math class was the best time to make a mistake so that we can learn from it, and likely that there is someone else in class learning from that mistake as well. So it really is just a life takeaway that we want our students to leave our classroom comfortable making mistakes because they understand that they're learning from those mistakes. Okay, so our goal is for students to be able to think at those higher levels, right? We've talked about how we have to make mistakes a norm or something common and totally accepted in our classroom, right? That's part of the idea of classroom culture that... um, values the learning process, right? We talked a little bit about studenting versus actually thinking and learning. And I thought about also the way that we ask questions and the questions that we ask. So if we're focusing on higher level thinking using higher level questions, we have to focus on the types of questions we're asking. So to do this, I'm gonna refer to that very well-known Bloom's Taxonomy. Now, you're likely familiar with the pyramid, and when I say those words, you may even have a visual in your mind. But if not, you can check out our episode show notes at maneuveringthemiddle.com slash episode 39, and you'll see a visual. But remember, basically, Bloom's Taxonomy is a hierarchy of learning objectives, and they rank the lower-order thinking skills to the higher-order thinking skills, just like a pyramid, right? So as a quick refresher while you're listening, um, if I start at the bottom of the pyramid, we have remembering, which is basically recalling facts. Then we move to understanding, which is grasping meaning from that content. We move on to applying, using information in a new but similar situation. Then we move to analyzing, where we're breaking down the content and the relationships. Evaluating, which is making judgments from the information. And then lastly, at the very top of that pyramid is creating, using the information to create something new. Now, if you're thinking about this as a pyramid or you're visualizing this, those lower levels actually have purpose and they provide a foundation. And these are these questions that are easy to ask. They're the ones that kind of roll off your tongue naturally and they don't require a lot of forethought. In math class, this may sound a lot like, well, what do we do next? What is the solution? What operation will we we use? Kind of questioning them or students through the process um, with a kind of like what comes next type thought. Now, those higher level questions are those that take a little more forethought and planning. These are the questions that require students to analyze the relationships in a process or make an evaluation on how to approach the problem based on given information. So, one of the easiest ways to get to those higher level thinking skills is to teach students multiple approaches to a specific concept and then have them evaluate and justify why one process may be better than another based on given information. So sometimes as teachers, we have the tendency to teach a few different methods and then continually model the one that we are most comfortable with and we miss out on those conversations. I think about this so much when I was teaching Algebra 1. So I taught Algebra 1 to high school freshmen one year. I taught it also in the middle school, but in this case, I was teaching it to high school freshmen. And when we were solving equations, there is a very common thought that we just always tell students to put the variables on the left and the constants on the right because it's just easier, right? Well, that is an approach. There's nothing wrong with that approach, but sometimes that actually makes it more complicated and more work. Now, does it help students kind of to frame their mind about what step they should do? And they should always move the variables first. They're always going to go to the left then The constants are always going to go to the right, and they always do that second. Well, sure, that does give them a very much a step-by-step procedural understanding of how to solve these equations. But it also takes out the idea that there are multiple methods, there are multiple ways to do it, and they can actually look at the problem and reason through or analyze right? They can uh, analyze the problem. Then they can make a judgment call on which would be the most efficient way to solve that equation. And so it doesn't always mean that the variables go to the left, right? We know that as teachers. So that's a great, just like very practical example of how we can teach those higher order thinking skills by using multiple methods. Now, I wanted to break down that Bloom's taxonomy for a math skill, and I can't walk you through this on the podcast, but I would love for you to check out maneuveringthemiddle.com slash episode 39, where we show a problem or a content-specific problem, and then we break down the questions that you could ask about that problem um, to all different levels of Bloom's taxonomy. So that's a great visual, and even something you could reference as you plan when um, as you're creating your lesson plans, and then lastly, in those same um, on that same post, we have a great chart that we found that, that kind of helps frame how you can um, use different questions, different verbs to um, get those questions higher um, as you teach a skill. So now that we've talked about the questions, let's talk about how we actually facilitate these questions in our classrooms. Now, in my fifth year of teaching that I was actually just referencing with the algebra example, our campus read a book called Quality Questions, which helped me to learn about some of the technical terms behind wait time and that there actually are different types of wait time. And so if you aren't familiar with that term, wait time is the amount of time that we sit in silence after a question has been posed to our students. Then there's actually what they call wait time two in the book. And that is the amount of time that you wait until to respond after a student responds. So you ask the question, wait time one, a student responds, wait time two, you validate that response. So that's typically how it happens. Now, the thing that is, that interaction happens all the time in your classroom. I'm very confident of it. But the idea that wait time should be uncomfortable is a little bit new, and it was new to me then as well. Like, there should be silence. A student shouldn't have to, um, or I shouldn't call on someone right away, and I shouldn't respond right away when they give me a a solution or a response. Um, We want there to be silence in the classroom. In fact, if you ask a question and just wait 10 seconds, like count to 10 slowly in your head, you will be shocked at how long it feels. It feels like you're just waiting forever, right? But wait time gives time for students to think. And remember that as soon as we as the teacher accept an answer or acknowledge that the answer is correct or incorrect, everyone else in the class has stopped thinking. So this is really hard to do. You kind of have to train yourself to think about the time and think about the silence. So I thought about giving you a few ideas and options that might allow you to incorporate this into your classroom a little bit easier. So this can be something um, that, so when you ask a question, it can be a few things. First, you can actually ask them to write something down so that there is a natural silence. You could ask them to um, show a response like a thumbs up or a thumbs down when they're ready. You can ask students to give you five, meaning like I five, I feel very confident of my answer or fist, you know, fist to five fist, like I need help and I'm a little bit lost. Three, maybe like I feel pretty good about my solution, but I'm not sure. So that's one way is just to have something for them to do so that you're visually able to see what's happening and see Um, what students are thinking throughout the class, but you're not immediately getting an answer and students are still having to think about it, right? Secondly, you can also give students a bit of a heads up if you're wanting them to share. So sometimes this might be known as like warm calling on a student. So you ask the question, then you get a give some time of silent think time, right? Or silent wait time, And then you ask students to share with a partner and you're circulating, right? You're listening for their responses and things that you would want the whole class to hear. So if you hear something that's important, you know, some of those key learnings that you want other students to think about, you prompt the student. You say, that was a great response. I would like you to share that with the class. So that way they feel confident that they're going to share something that you find valuable, but you haven't let everyone know and other students are still conversing and still thinking. And so then obviously you can come back and ask, call in some of those students that you've given a heads up to. And lastly, I mentioned writing something down, but this campus that we were at, It was a high school campus, and they were so big on the use of dry erase boards. Now, I know there is tons of technology and that there are lots of apps, or you could do things on a phone or with a device of some sort. But the idea of writing is really good for students. Students still get excited about using a dry erase board versus pencil and paper, and you can have them hold it up and very easily visually see what students have done or what work they've done or their solution or their process just with a quick glance because it's so much easier to see than to try and circulate. So that's another idea. So ask that question, give them the wait time, and then ask them to show their boards and then ask them to have those conversations with their partner or with their group and then call on students from there. When they respond, then try really hard not to say yes or great answer or that's correct. One strategy is, you know, a student A gives a solution and then you say, thank you for sharing, which I think we have to kind of as teachers want to respond. So you say, thank you for sharing. And then you call on another student, student B, to say, what do you think about what student A said? Do you agree or do you disagree? Did you find a solution a different, me- a different way or in a different method? Those are the conversations that we want to have that help our students to have to think on a higher level. a quick recap I shared about Bloom's Taxonomy and our goal of moving students to those higher level thinking skills. We can do that by creating a culture that accepts mistakes as part of the learning process, relies on the -the off-the-cuff questions that are more lower level in tandem with pre-planned higher level questions, and then incorporating wait time so that students have the actual opportunity to think. Now, don't forget to grab our lesson planning template that goes along with this instructional design series and be sure to tune in next week when we talk about the CRA sequence. It's so fun to be back and recording the podcast and I can't believe 2022 is already here. I'm hoping that these episodes make your commute to work just a little bit more enjoyable and you're able to take some of the ideas and make them work in your classroom. If you've been enjoying the podcast, then we would love a five-star review. It helps us to be found by other teachers. For all of the links, resources, and freebies mentioned today in one easy place, check out maneuveringthemiddle.com slash episode 39. I'm Noelle Pickering, and you've been listening to the Good Morning Teacher podcast. Until next time, friends, make it a great week.